The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run or drive or jog or fly with Game Changers, you are in the right place. Yes, you are. What's the buzz on the street today? And street is an operative word on this show, so take, take attention, pay attention. Cities are never random. Just think about it. I found this quote in the writings of Neil Neal Schusterman, who is a uh, apparently a, an American writer of young adult fiction, and it's from his book Downsiders. You can look it up, and I found him on Twitter. Cities are never random. Now, that's going to be the prelude to the conversation today. So, what's going on around the world? Cities are on a common mission. What do they want? They want to give their residents, their businesses, their visitors a safe, clean, I call it well-oiled, efficient, and inclusive urban environment. Everything everyone needs running smoothly all the time. Well, my goodness. How are they going to do this? The key is to keep the infrastructure humming along. But this takes ordinary stuff, mundane tasks, and they have to happen automatically. They have to happen smoothly. They have to happen before they create a crisis or an inconvenience. It's not happening very well in a lot of cities yet, but a lot of cities are trying. So how can cities do things like, well, let's look at rain. You got to keep those storm drains clean. How can you do it without having to say, wait a minute, there's a bad storm drain back up on 24th and Lexington. Let's go send a crew in the next three hours. Who's available? Can't have that. How about streetlights that go out and create a safety issue for people walking and driving? You need those repaired instantly. You need to know the second they go out and they need to almost fix themselves and traffic. You need to keep those buses and those trains and those taxis and drivers and pedestrians flowing smoothly around the clock all year long. How to do it? Well, we think we have an answer. And the answer is, drum roll please, real-time Internet of Things sensors. Just let that sink in for a moment. We have a panel of three experts. They've all been on Game Changers Radio with me at various times in the past. Delighted to have this kind of brain trust joining me today. Let me just tell you who they are, and then we'll get started. First up, I will be welcoming back Megan Cook, Program Director for the Center of Technology and Government at the University at Albany State University of New York. And joining her on the panel will be Dina Dale, and she spells it D-A. YAL Global VP for Digital Enterprise Platform Group at SAP. Rounding out the panel is Saj Kumar, Vice President of Digital Transformation and Internet of Things, also at SAP. So let me circle back around to the table and let me introduce the quote Megan Cook has sent us, and it's from Paolo 
Coelho, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, C-O-E-L-H-O. And Coelho is a Portuguese gentleman born in 1947, a Brazilian lyricist and novelist, most well-known for his novel The Alchemist, which has been translated into 80 languages and sold over 200. Let's see, this book sold over 83 million copies. It is one of the best-selling books in history, and it's won the Guinness World Book for the most translated book by a living author. And one note here, in 2014, Oprah Winfrey, Winfrey interviewed pop star and composer and, and performer Pharrell Williams, who stated that the alchemist had changed his life. Here's the quote. The power of storytelling is exactly this, to bridge the gaps where everything else has crumbled. Megan Cook, it's been a long time. How have you been? I've been great, Bonnie. Thanks. Thanks for joining me. I love the story about storytelling, and I love the fact that the alchemist is changing lives, including who knew Pharrell Williams, woohoo, and getting in on a story of Oprah there. I kind of snuck that in. So tell me, we're talking about smart cities, smart streets, efficiently humming infrastructure. So where does storytelling come in, Megan? Well, many times uh, people are thinking about the technology. When you get in a room with a group of, of technologists, they want to talk about the sensors, all the pieces, the switches. And it's not until you talk about the impact, but impact comes out in the form of story. People want to know why you're using it, what type of quality of life change will citizens see. And so I really believe when you start with the story, people get it a little bit faster, they understand why they're in the room, why they're talking about it, and they want to work together in order to leverage the technology because the story told the impact. Very interesting. The story told the impact. So would you say that the, the conversation is what is bringing up the needs that are begging for solutions? Could we see it that way? Uh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a lot of the conversation, but it's also, you know, uh, it's a lot of the, the chatter out there about wanting to be a smart city. So even the small cities throughout the U.S. are saying, well, we've really got to jump on this bandwagon. We've got to do something. What should we do? And, and immediately people think to technology. But we find it's the cities that are thinking about the impact and telling the story about what they want to change then they mm-hmm. seek the technology to, to, in order to let them achieve that. So storytelling is, is a way First. that support is being built. Thank you. I like that. Very, very good way, very human way of looking at everything. Because smart cities are just people living close together. Isn't that really what they are, Megan? Yeah. Just people telling stories. Thank you. A a pleasure to have you back. And thanks for a shout-out to Marlon Zelkowitz at SAP for bringing you on board for us on very short time. And I have to do a shout-out to Marlon because she is going to be sponsoring a brand-new Game Changers series with me in 2017. Wonderful, yes. We love Marlon. Smart cities with game changers. This is going to be really cool. So I think we'll be seeing you and hearing from you again a lot. Thank you so much, Megan. Now let's bring on our second panelist. It's Dina Dale, Global VP for Digital Enterprise Platform Group at SAP. And Dina has sent me a quote from Will Rogers. Let me just read a drop here. Full name, William Penn Adair. Will Rogers, 1879 to 1935. He was a stage and motion picture actor, a vaudeville performer, an American cowboy, a humorist, a newspaper columnist, and a social commentator. He was known as Oklahoma's favorite son, traveled the world three times, made 71 movies, believe it or not, 50 were silent, and 21 were talkies, wrote more than 4,000 nationally syndicated newspaper columns, and everybody adored him. He crashed, actually, with Aviator Wiley post when their plane 
came down unexpectedly in northern Alaska in 1935. Here is the quote Dina has selected from the vast writings, we can all agree on that, of Will Rogers. Quote, even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. Dina, welcome back. How have you been? Great, Bonnie. How are you? I'm very well, thanks for asking. Love the quote. So who's sitting on the tracks? We're talking smart cities, and I think I mentioned trains in my intro. So, Dina, tell me how this all fits together with our topic. Yeah, so when you think about smart cities, we're really looking at it from a, you know, transportation perspective. We're looking at the public safety. We're looking at people and the movement of people. And when we take, um, take the sensors and we actually start tying all these pieces and parts together from a sensor perspective, it's really about what we're going to do with that data. So if you think about just the public safety aspect, and let's say we've got smart lights in a city, and as you said, the grid goes out, how do I ensure that the lights go in? And so when you, when you start thinking about people, you start thinking about the movement, you know, you can't just sit there, and cities can't sit there anymore either. Um, infrastructures are changing, infrastructures are aging, and the more we sit there, the more these things are going to break or they're going to collapse the infrastructure of the city, and the more we can start getting connected, the more we can do something with it that's positive for the, uh, for the community. Very interesting point of view. What would Will Rogers say, Dina, if he were alive today? He left us 1935, so it was not not nearly 100 years ago, but long enough ago that he didn't know computers and cell phones and PCs and Internet of Things and self-driving cars. This would have all, he would have had a lot to write about, I know. But what do you think he'd say if he, he knew you were using his quote on a show about smart cities? Duh. What do you think? Take the grant monies and do something with it because the world is changing <laughs> and we can't just sit there. <laughs> there you go. Yes, and he, he would have probably started a whole new uh, program or a project. By the way, um, he wrote an epigram that he wanted for his epitaph. Are you, can I read that for a second, uh, Dina? Is that okay with you? I think everybody will get a kick out of it. When I die, my epitaph, or whatever you call those signs on gravestones, is going to be read, quote, I joked about every prominent man of my time, but I never met a man I didn't like, unquote. I'm so proud of that. I can hardly wait to die so it can be carved. Oh, my. (laughs) Oh, my. We'll just leave that one alone. Yes. And Will Rogers, we just did justice to what you would have written. I don't know if it's on the tombstone or not. Thank you, Dina. And let's turn to our third panelist. He's Saj Kumar, as I said, VP of Digital Transformation and IoT at SAP. And Saj has sent us a quote from Freeman Dyson. I had to really look this one up. Freeman John Dyson, FRS, born in 1923, I guess he's still with us, is an English-born American theoretical physicist and mathematician known for his work in quantum electrodynamics, solid-state physics, astronomy, and nuclear engineering. And let's see what's interesting about him. He joined the faculty of Cornell University as a physics professor in 1951, even though he didn't have a doctorate. Aha! And then he received a permanent post at the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton, where he has now lived for more than 50 years. He's a naturalized citizen, and he renounced his British nationality. They call him shy, self-effacing, and a refreshing person to know. And here is the refreshing quote from Freeman Dyson. Quote, I don't think of myself predicting things. I'm expressing possibilities, things that could happen. To a large extent, it's a question of how badly people want them to. Oh, my. Saj Kumar, welcome back. How have you been? Not too bad, Bunny. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks for joining us. I love the quote. How do you know about Freeman Dyson? I've never heard of him, and I'm glad that I do. So talk to me. Well, actually, for uh, people who played the video game Half-Life, uh, it's, it's a fairly old game that started on PCs and moved on to other platforms. 
Uh, there's a character called Dr. Gordon Freeman. Uh, he's again a physicist from MIT, and he's he's kind of the uh, main character behind uh, behind these games, and you kind of play his role in the game. And uh, when I looked up uh, Dr. Gordon Freeman, I realized that the creator of the game uh, made this character after Freeman Dyson. Uh, he admired uh, Freeman Dyson for his work, and he said, okay, let's, let's name this character after, after Freeman Dyson. And that's how I, uh, I learned about him, and then I started looking him up and uh, seeing what he's written. And he's uh, uh, a fascinating personality. And I really like this quote, which is why I picked this up for the call today. So tell me how this quote relates to smart cities, predicting things, expressing possibilities. Are we talking smart cities, smart streets, Internet of Things? Is it all possibilities or is it now existing situations and existing, existing capabilities? Where do we go from possibilities to capabilities? Yeah, I guess uh, predictions is a bad word today. So uh, let's talk about the possibilities. <laughs> Touche. Very well done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, when we look at uh, smart cities and what people are thinking about uh, smart cities, what, what would happen in the future, I think it's a question of what, people, what do people really want? Uh, what do citizens want? Uh, what do commuters want? Uh, what do people who go to public hospitals want? I think that's what we need to address. Instead of, uh, many governments are coming up with these concepts of smart nations and smart cities, uh, particularly in countries like Singapore, where I live, and um, not realizing that... Uh, the grand vision is good, but let's look at what do people really want. And I think that's where uh, cities now need to uh, firm their, uh, their, their principles and uh, what they need to build based on what citizens really want. I think that's what uh, uh, we need to focus on. And I think many of them are realizing, having started on this journey maybe uh, two or three years ago, uh, they're now getting themselves back to ground reality, saying, okay, let's, let's scale this back and let's look, at, uh, uh, let's look at what can we deliver for citizens today. And I think, thank you, Saj, that goes back to Megan Cook's quote from Paolo Coelho, the power of storytelling is exactly just to bridge the gaps where everything else has crumbled. In this case, we're looking forward to not quite yet possibilities. And yes, we will stay away from the word predictions. Thank you, Saj. Very well done. I'm going to circle back to Megan Cook. And Megan, this is the part of the show. Well, I could call it up close and personal, but I'll call it what's in your cup today. We'd love to know where you're calling from and what are you drinking right now or what are you planning to drink after the show? Well, I'm calling from Albany, New York, and right now I'm drinking water with a little bit of lemon, trying to get a very healthy start to the day. I admire that. Is the water <laughs> warm, cold? I, I know. Is it fresh lemon squeezed? Is it cold water, warm water? What's the special style fresh you're using? Lemon. Fresh lemon with cold water, and the and the key word there is trying. Trying to be healthy. Everybody <laughs> tries to put their best foot forward, right? Oh yes, welcome to my world. We are trying. Dev, I I got a Fitbit for my birthday from recently from a friend, and you know it's it's making me very aware and conscious, Megan, of how many steps I take. It doesn't mean I'll always achieve that five or ten thousand steps a day, but I know when I'm not doing it, and I think right. about it more the next day. So I think it's made. I actually had to go to a trade show in Manhattan last week. I was invited to Ad Tech. And instead of taking a cab from Penn Station to Javits Center, I walked. It was about a mile. It was a beautiful day. And by the end of the day, all told, back and forth to train stations and around the trade show, I had put on over 10,000 steps. And I really felt good. Yes. I know people in the audience probably saying, well, gee, she's only doing 10,000 steps. I do 50,000 a day. Well, give give me a chance, kids. I'm catching up. I'm catching up. Thank you, Megan, for the inspiration. And now let's turn to Dina Dale. Dina, where are you and what are you drinking today? I am in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am equally trying to be healthy, as Megan said, 
and uh, drinking a warm glass of water. Um, however, it's about to be tea time, so I'll probably be uh, pouring me a glass of uh, green tea in the next hour or so, which I picked up from San Francisco when on business in Chinatown. Oh, nice, nice, nice. And do you feel healthy drinking green tea? Do you get that, that sense that because it's green tea, whether, whether anything's really happening or not, I'm doing the right thing? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, my blood pressure has gone down as a result of it, so I actually really do enjoy it. And it's got really? Yeah. I like that a lot. Wow, good to know. Thank you very much. I think I have some in the drawer. I think it's coming out of hiding today. We're going to have green tea in your honor. Thank you, Dina and Saj Kumar. Where are you today and what's in your cup? I'm in my home base of Singapore uh, on a rare occasion. And uh, it's past midnight, so it's not uh, uh, tea or water time for me. So I'm having a glass of uh, Kavalan uh, single malt. Uh, many of you probably have never heard of uh, this distillery called Kavalan. It's uh, in Taiwan. And it's a very young distillery because many of the distilleries that you find from Scotland are probably at least a couple of hundred years old. So uh, Kavalan uh, is, uh, is, uh, started bottling uh, their first whiskey in t- 2010. And um, surprisingly, in 2015, they were uh, elected as the best single malt uh, of the year. Uh, comparing them to uh, Scottish single malts and other single malts, and uh, they were rated the best single malt. And that wow. which is why I've, I, I taste all kinds of single malts from around the world. And it's Carolan. Now spell Carolan yes. for me. Is Cavalan? It's K A V A L A N. Cavalan. Cavalan. That's why I couldn't find it. Cavalan single malt whiskey. Here we are. Okay, you can get it all over the internet. Skyview Wine and uh, 11malts.com and Flavor Your Whiskey Club. And oh, they have their own website, cavalanwhiskey.com slash en. Very interesting. Thank you. And themasterofmalt.com. Thank you very much, Saj. Very interesting. Good to know. Drink up, but wait till we're done with the show. Okay, so we're talking today with Megan Cook, with Dina Dale, with Saj Kumar. And our topic today is Smart City, Smart Streets, Internet of Things to the Rescue. We're talking about what do you need? What can you dream? What can cities do to bring together a smoother, smarter, more efficiently run infrastructure that'll help everybody get to where they're going? more efficiently and safely. We have a lot to talk about. We've had a great opening here, a lot of good quotes. So I'm just going to say, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back. And Megan Cook will join me to start the roundtable in just about 75 seconds. So, Michael, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.com. D.gram 
at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Welcome back. We're talking about smart cities, smart streets, smart solutions, and the Internet of Things Think Sensor. Speaking with Megan Cook, Dina Dale, and Saj Kumar, I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and we are ready to start our, let's see now, but one thing more thing I want to tell all of you, uh, this is episode number 256. This is our flagship series, Coffee Break with Game Changers. And just a heads up, we are going to have a banner year here on Business Radio, Business Channel next year. I think we're having 50 series will be launching in January. We're going to have everything from utilities of the future to manufacturing with Game Changers to smart cities with Game Changers to all kinds of interesting things. Plus, many of our current series are coming back for renewals. Very exciting, so stay tuned. We will be coming to you about five times a week with Game Changers Radio with various theme series, and I know you're all going to want to listen in because I believe we have the best thought leader panelists in the world, but then I'm, I put them together and I help vet them and help get them here and prep them, and I think we're doing a wonderful job of conveying great thought leadership. So there, that's my little pitch. So Megan Cook at the Center for Technology and Government University at Albany State University of New York is going to start the Roundtable. And Megan has sent me something very provocative here. This is where we're going to start. She says, smart is not just for the megacities. Megacities throughout the world have been trailblazing the smarter city movement. And while they are creating value for their citizens, this movement has also created some unrealistic expectations for small to mid-sized cities that make up the larger percentage of the world's cities. I like that, Megan. Why don't you tell us, let's expand it and let's talk to everybody now. Okay, great. Um, so, you know, Center for Technology and Government has been working with cities and local governments for over 20 years, and our goal is to generate knowledge and build capability. And we see this so much in the smaller size cities. The megacities have the resources. They have the attention. When you read articles about New York, San Francisco, Seoul, they're, they're doing things that are revolutionary. But then the smaller cities, and, and small is always... Um, it's a, it's a matter of opinion on what you think is small. As of late, I've heard many leaders say that it's below the 250,000 um, population. Those cities many times don't have the resources by which to engage in, in a smarter movement, but they want to. So what we're doing is we're spending a lot of time thinking about what capabilities are necessary in a small city in order to leverage technology. So we're focusing not just on the technology, but on the impact, on the management practices that have to change, on the policies, and really trying to help them put together a story and start with incremental steps so they can go out to their citizens and say, see, we're moving forward in becoming a smarter city. Jeff Merritt from New York City tells a really good story about um, park benches that count um, how many people are sitting on the park bench. And you know, it's a, it's a really interesting technology built into um, an infrastructure that's already there. But why would you do that? Because mm-hmm. you want to understand how much people are using the park. Counts help you understand how much something's being used, how much traffic's being flowed through, but for what purpose? Because you want to um, increase the, the quality of life for people while they're in that park. You may have some constituents saying, you're spending too much money here and not enough money on this park over there. Data about how many people are there will help you. Traffic flows. But 
small cities look at this and they say, yeah, we want to do all of it. We want to jump on board. But where do you start? And so I think there's some critical elements that are really necessary for these smaller cities who may not have a CIO, who don't have a chief data officer, who are looking at this innovation and saying, how do I operationalize that? One more thing, the Office of Science mm -hmm. and Technology Policy loves this idea, and they want to um, have CTG create really small guidebooks for smaller cities. And one of the things that I'm happy to say is that SAP has decided that they would like to play a role in this project. So we're really excited about starting this work. I have a group of um, leaders from cities around the range of 60 to 70,000 all the way up to about 150,000 who are coming together to say, these are our challenges, this is where we need help. And the larger cities, such as New York and San Francisco, are, are also taking part in seeing what they can do to provide um, lessons learned of what they had to go through. So I know I just talked really long, but I'm really passionate about the smaller cities because I think that's where you're going to see a lot of movement in people living, and, and that's where our investment has to be. Very interesting. No, you didn't go long at all. I thought it was a, a very provocative. And I'm going to get Dina and Sajin on this in just a second, but I'm going to say something I hope isn't too flip. Megan, do you think smaller cities have city envy when they look at the big ones with the with the opportunities for more policy and more finances, more infrastructure changes, and, and maybe some flexibility because of all the, the brilliance that's there waiting to create these new opportunities? Is there such a thing as city envy, small uh, to big? It, yes, but I, but I think it's, it's not anything new. It's not anything. Okay. I, I, I do believe that they look at these other cities and, um, and, and they want to have what they have. And, and I hear it from many um, mayors. And one of the things we talk about is that these larger cities have been investing in their infrastructure for over 10 years. So they've been doing data analytics with administrative data that they've been collecting without any smarter technologies. So while I, I understand that as a smaller city you want to buy a sensor, and use it now to inform day-to-day -day decisions and long-term planning, how have you used the data you've already been collecting? And, and so when they reflect on the fact that their data is still in multiple silos, they haven't been able to invest in their infrastructure, it becomes a little bit clearer about the path they might need to take in order to reach some of the goals the larger cities have. Thank you very much. Dean and Dale, love to get you in on this conversation. Please, thoughts? Yeah, so as we start talking to a lot of cities, um, you know, and, and the, the comment and the, and the um, interest has grown quite dramatically, even in North America and Europe, one of the things that we see is even the smaller cities are going into the, um, into the business of smart city. But, again, you start, you start really big as far as thinking big, but then you start small from an infrastructure standpoint. And so I think to the point that's being made around, you know, small cities, I think one of the biggest things that we can do is really help articulate what are they already collecting today, what does that data mean, and then how do we marry that data with, let's say, even weather data? How can weather data being collected with the data that the city's already collecting be able to tell a story that they haven't been able to, um, you know, evaluate in the past leveraging the data? So I think small cities still have a play in this game, um, and I think, you know, a lot of technology partners and companies can definitely help in trying to uh, inform and educate on how to start small in order to achieve sort of a balance on, you know, big versus small cities, you know, being able to take over, you know, kind of the smart city concept, I think it really works for, uh, for everybody. Thank you. Interesting. Saj Kumar, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Where do you stand on this smart city, small city, mega city? 
I, I'd like to expand this uh, beyond the small cities, what I call small uh, new cities, or new smart cities. And an example of this is uh, a city called Songdo in Korea, which is uh, built on reclaimed land uh, around uh, the Incheon Airport, which is uh, in Seoul in Korea. And uh, the city was uh, built as a purpose-built in a smart city uh, with about 90,000 residents. It's not a very big city. And uh, what they've done is the entire city was built from scratch uh, as a smart city with uh, so no, no garbage cans, for instance, anywhere in the city. The entire garbage disposal system is built on, uh, on pneumatic pipes. So you just drop them into a pipe and it uh, sucks all the garbage out from wherever you are into a central location. Uh, the entire city, all the buildings, the apartments are all wired. And uh, you have uh, video conferencing and telepresence capabilities in every apartment, which allows them to do things like you know, remote education. So you have English teachers mm. from, the, from the U.S. and Hawaii, uh, connecting to residents in these apartments, uh, teaching them English and other, other subjects. So, it's, uh, so I, I'd like to think of these new smart cities, which are smaller in nature, but they're purpose-built to be smart cities. What's the name of the city you were just describing, please, Saj? I'm very intrigued. I want to tweet about it. What was it? It's Songdo, S-O-N-G-D-O. S-O-N-G-D-O. Okay, Songdo. thank you very much. Wow. Uh, Megan Cook, I'm going to circle around to you around the table and get your thoughts on what Saj just added and Dina's comments as well. I, I really like this idea of thinking about the cities that have, you know, already been created but not in, in thinking about um, an area of being smart. They, they're just the more traditional, smaller city, as opposed to the cities that are created um, with that in mind, as, as Saj was just talking about, because, um, because I think there's a lot to learn from there. The size of a 90,000, uh, the population of a city, is really um, small enough that you can innovate and uh, in, take those innovations and operationalize them very quickly and learn quite a bit. And then it's taking that and bringing it to cities that are that are looking more traditional, that are maybe less um, less smart by infrastructure terms, and seeing what very you can interesting. Do in there. So I really do like these ideas. Very very interesting. Let me ask a question to the whole panel before to the whole panel before we move on. I'm going to be scanning uh, Dina Dale's comments here before we go on. Uh, question for the panel: Where does the energy come from, Megan? I'll start with you. Where does the the brain power come from? Who steps up, goes to a perhaps a, a local village community or town meeting? Who gets on the city council and says, you know, I heard such and such a city is doing this. Wouldn't it be great if we had pneumatic pipes to help remove our garbage? Wouldn't it be great if we had Wi-Fi in every house? Wouldn't it be great if we took advantage of a broader educational opportunity for our young people and for our adults to educate, re-educate, and expand their education. Where does this come from? Who has to step up to make it happen? Megan, just let me get a... Oh, we got a lot of noise there. Let me just ask you, Megan, to quickly go around the table and then Dina and Saj. Who, who has to speak up to get the idea to tell that story, Megan, and then help it come to fruition? Well, you know, there's so many players. I would love to say that it's always one type of position, but it's not. Sometimes it's the, it's the community. It is the, the folks who are the innovators in the community who have the startups. Sometimes it is a newly appointed chief data officer within a government who says, hey, I want to use data in a different way. Sometimes it is the city council. So it is really a mixture of people coming together from the community and inside the government in an industry. Many of these small cities have 
folks who are either working in large corporations or retired and saying, we did these great things in, in our company. Why can't we do that in our city? And so they start to create the excitement. And, and once you get one person like that and it starts to grow in different populations of people within the city, once you get that groundswell, that's when the change starts to happen. But it can't be just from one sector. It's got to come a little bit from all of them. Thank you. Dina, what are your thoughts? Where does it come from? Yeah, a lot of times we do see it coming in from the government officials, but we're starting to see it come from very unique places as well. So it could be the, let's say, the Chamber of Commerce or even the um, community itself. Um, interesting in love, um, actually moving and in, moving into a new townhouse community, which has got, you know, a combination of townhouses, single-family homes, and it's a mixed use where you can live, work, and um, play. And what, one of the things that they've done as part of that community, and it's an, an initial starter in Atlanta, is they've, they've created the initiative around smart community. And so the entire community is censored. Um, the homes, they're making smart homes. Um, they're looking at all the different places of where you shop, where you eat, where you're going to you know, live, and really be able to connect all the pieces and players to be able to build these communities out across the Atlanta and um, Southeast region. So very interesting enough, that actually came from the builder himself um, and, and built this community based on smart community. And so we're going to start seeing that growing just across, you know, not just Atlanta, but probably other cities as well. Oh, very interesting. Saj, well, join us. What do you think? Where does it come from in your point of view? <laughs> Yeah, I think the ideas are probably coming from um, government departments and ministries saying that they need to create these smart cities. But to actually make them work, and I've, I've seen this in practice over the last couple of years, uh, to really make a smart city work, I think you need one person or a, or a, or a, or a creative a person within the ministry to actually drive this to fruition. And I think that's the difference between making announcements about a smart city and actually getting the benefits down to citizens. And um, it's, it's, it's not easy to get that person because... Uh, Many of the bureaucrats have uh, their own agendas and their own career path. So trying to find someone within the government to to take on this bold move to create this smart city or create a particular project, and that is not an easy task. Not an easy task at all. We need more storytelling, right, Megan Cook? Uh, Dina Dale, I'm, I'm looking at your notes here. Very interesting. You've tackled all kinds of uh, opportunities here for us to expand the discussion of smart city initiatives. So, Dina, it looks like you have some good examples here. Let's talk about water management, if you'd like to start with that one. Why don't you give us a case study about water management, starting with leaky pipes, and, and let's uh, go from there. Excellent. So water management, one of the things, um, we've been talking to a lot of water companies, we've been talking to a lot of cities around water, and really what can we do from the infrastructure piece of leaky pipes? Where is their loss of water? Where is their infrastructure challenges because pipes are eroding or pipes are aging? Um, one interesting facet was the city of Houston where they've actually um, recently identified that they were losing about one, uh, 15 billion gallons of water per year. Um, and what it resulted in due to sensors and embedded sensors that they put in um, and looking at it from a pump control system was ultimately they just had bad pipes. And so from a smart city initiative and looking strictly around the water um, quality and, you know, irrigation, where's the water going, what's the runoff, is there flooding in a specific community or area, and being able to do management across all of those infrastructure pieces, all of those homes, communities, et cetera, 
being able to now regulate exactly what they're doing from a water consumption perspective. We also had this in Brazil. Um, if you think about just the, uh, the amount of rain that they get, similar um, activities was happening from Brazil's standpoint. They had an initiative from water management. Um, New York City is doing something around sewage and water. And so we're starting to see um, cities come in with different bits and pieces around, let's say, water consumption, let's say, energy, transportation, public safety, environmental factors, um, and really looking at those data points and being able to uh, make communities a lot more safer. And obviously, from an operational and cost perspective, it's also a lot of waste when you think about 15% of the water is being wasted with leaky pipes. You know, there's a savings that comes with it, not just a safety component. Wow, very, very interesting. Asaj, you've already given us some examples of, of innovation in terms of garbage removal in Songdo, but do you have any, any examples, any case studies of actually saving resources? Anything you'd like to add to that? And uh, then I'll go around to Megan. If not, I'll have Dina give us another example. So, Asaj, anything you want to add? Yeah, I think going back to the water example that uh, Dina just mentioned, uh, if you look at um, developing countries like India, where I, I do spend a fair bit of time, about time, uh, about uh, 25 to 30 percent of uh, water that's distributed in in pipes uh, in India is uh, actually lost, uh, lost due to leakage, lost due to uh, people tapping into the pipes. So, uh, what can we do to to minimize this? What can we do to bring the losses down to, I guess, uh, three to five percent, which is what you would see in uh, more developed countries? So, we're working with uh, with partners to introduce. Uh, sensors uh, in in these pipes to one monitor the amount of water that's being consumed and uh, the interesting thing about these sensors is that uh, they're um, self power generating in the sense that you know you don't really need to put a battery you don't need to power, provide a power supply the the force of the water uh, actually drives a, a generator which generates electricity to drive the mm. sensors uh, within that to to look at a the water quality to look at the water consumption and uh, we we experimenting with this in some apartment buildings and then we want to take this to a larger scale thank you very interesting megan cook any examples you'd like to share well, you know, when we talk to, to a lot of mayors and we're working with them, many of them start with streetlights. So smarter technologies in the streetlights, not just the, the bulb, but also um, putting sensors on and, and even Wi-Fi, municipal Wi-Fi. And so that's where they get um, a, a lot of dialogue around the cost savings. And uh, we know many cities that have partnered with school districts. So um, it doesn't, you know, it, to some cities it doesn't seem like it's innovative, but to the small ones it is when you're, when you're saving a hundreds of thousands of dollars in your annual budget because you've replaced the streetlights um, to, to the LED. And so it's, it, it is revolutionary for them. So it is, um, we see it being prolific in the smaller cities right now. Thank you very much. Good examples. Dina, you started us on a good thread here. I really like that one. And nice to give our audience some concrete examples so they, the light bulbs literally will go off. And I know we're all generating our own light bulbs here. Wow. Uh, Saj, I'm going to move on to your notes here. Very interesting. A couple things we could talk about. Uh, you mentioned augmented reality. Of course, we, we're going to reference Pokemon Go around the world. Uh, so let's talk about how that can engage citizen and tourist in, uh, drive citizen and tourist engagement and how would that translate into smart cities in terms of revenue and advertising and just I'll call it uh, community connectivity if you don't mind on a social basis. Saj, talk to us. Augmented reality. 
Yeah, at the topic of augmented reality uh, for the last, I think, uh, four to five years uh, has always been within labs and within uh, uh, technology institutions and maybe companies like uh, SAP. But uh, ever since the launch of uh, Pokemon Go, we've now seen AR become reality within a uh, what's it, 7.2 million downloads in seven days, and it's now 81 downloads every second globally. So it's it's actually changed uh, the nature of augmented reality that now that almost everyone uh, that you speak to understands uh, what it is. Uh, or even if they don't understand the term, they, they're actually involved in augmented reality when they're playing the game. But uh, when you take this beyond uh, the game to what could you do with the city, and um, there's actually an interesting app that was, uh, at least the concept was created way back in 2011, but uh, the app was never launched, where you could go to uh, a, a part of the city and, uh, and uh, point your camera that, uh, at a particular building, and uh, it would start playing movie scenes that were shot in that location. So if you look at uh, this from a tourism perspective, if you, uh, let's say, were in New York and you were uh, maybe in one of the locations where movies are shot, you could uh, you could point to that location and uh, and then you could would start seeing movies being played. So the cities could look at this as not only getting tourists to engage or actively participate uh, through the app, but also get. Uh, uh, I guess movie companies or uh, people who own that building or cafes or hotels or the locations that area to start uh, advertising uh, through the app to uh, collect revenue. I think this is where I think augmented reality will play a big part in uh, not only engaging tourists but also getting citizens to engage uh, in city activities. What kinds of activities? Let's take that a little bit farther, Saj. What kinds of activities? Let's say people who who look up or down their nose at at uh, Pokemon goes, "Oh, come on, it's for kids. It's terrible. People are getting into accidents. It's taking away from work. People can't focus. They're not sitting down at the dinner table and talking. They're playing the game. They're running around." People who are going to eschew, I can use that old word, eschew the concept of augmented reality as part of current culture and say, "No, no, no, not for me." How would you convince them that there's something there for everyone, or is there just a couple? more thoughts, Saj? Oh, yeah. There's, there's so many physical objects within within the city, right? I mean, you can look at traffic lights, you can look at uh, storm drains or pipes. You can always use, and almost everyone has a smartphone these days. Just point the device at that particular location. That's where you start engaging uh, from a reality perspective with that particular object, and then augmenting content from the city uh, with that particular location. So either you get information about that place, or uh, or you want to report a complaint about maybe a traffic light not working. Uh, so this is where you can actually use the camera and start uh, taking real-world images and send that back to the city saying, this is where I need certain improvement, or I like what you're doing out here, so even provide a positive feedback to uh, the city. I like that very much. I'm, I'm uh, reflecting, I'm laughing actually, because I live in a, a one of many, con- I'll call them connected, uh, meaning we're, we're next door to each other, nine small incorporated villages here in my particular part of the North Shore of Long Island in New York. And I was walking down the street, part of my walking for Fitbit, Megan Cook. I was I walked to the poll to vote yesterday. It was only two blocks away, but I still walked. In the old days, I might have taken the car two blocks. What can I tell you? Because I love my car. But I digress. And I noticed that a street sign was lying down on the sidewalk. I presume it was a slow or a no U-turn, one of those metal signs. It had just come out of whatever, however it was connected to the concrete sidewalk or the the cement sidewalk, and it was just lying down. And I noticed it uh, the day before as well. Now, what I would have loved to have done, Saj, if I had the opportunity, would be to 
genteelly pick up the sign, take a picture of it with my smartphone to identify what the sign was for, and a picture of the corner location so that it would be identifiable where it was, and send it to somebody who would care and, and dispatch a crew to either remove the sign so nobody tripped over it because it was on the sidewalk and or to set it back upright and send a crew immediately instead of having it lie there. Sajay, is that the kind of engagement that would have been nice for me to be able to do? Exactly. I mean, it can also accomplish it through easier things like putting a QR code on the sign that would identify where the sign was. Uh, but the augmented reality is also one way to uh, position the sign within a certain location of the city. Yeah. Okay, exactly thank you. Thank you. Good. I wanted to give a long-winded example there. Uh, Megan Cook, any thoughts on augmented reality and your view of how smart cities are evolving? Well, you know, one of the examples that we always give is Fort Lauderdale because they do it really well. But they're they're driven by tourism, so they want people to come mm-hmm. and visit their city, and so they use augmented reality um, not only for um, attractions, but where to stay, what goes on in the city. So I, I think that they do a, a good job with that. But I want to go back to something that you mentioned. So I always laugh when people bring up Pokemon Go because I fold it into all of my presentations because mm. I still see people use. Using it, and you know, take it from a bunch of thirteen-year-olds who were, you know, the ones really playing it. You know, the, in our city, they said they could name on their hand that the businesses, five businesses that tapped into the Pokemon Go before anyone else knew it was going on and offered discounts because they had Pokemon there. And so, you know, I have a bunch of thirteen-year-old boys who are, can name businesses. I don't even knew they. They would know they would exist, but they're like, hey, they're offering a discount for blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I would always think it's funny because it's how you leverage the technology to meet whatever mission you have, whether it be a business or a government or a community organization. Very well put. Dean, I'm going to circle around to you. Any thoughts on augmented reality? Yeah, so augmented reality is kind of an interesting facet. Um, you know, a lot of companies are also even looking at it from a, let's say, smart um, smart view of how they fix things. If you think about aging um, workforces and looking at just, you know, infrastructure and um, the age of infrastructure not being documented, one of the things that we're seeing companies and even cities do, and I'll, and I'll use Disney as my example because I've spent some time with Disney um, in the last few working with their chief uh, safety officer, is augmented reality not only for the attractions as well as the um, the actual folks that are attending the parks, but they're also looking at it from a crew safety perspective and being mm. able to wear, uh, have wearables within their um, hard hats and their badges to say what contract laborers are where, are they being safe, are they, you know, is, is it affecting my OSHA score um, from the maintenance perspective of the city itself, if you think about Disney as a city. Um, so they're really looking at it from a different lens of not just the consumer, but also the um, the operational crew that handles most of the maintenance of the rides. And so augmented reality plays, a, you know, a whole role and a slew of role in different areas. Um, one of the things around transportation management I thought was also interesting in working with a lot of um, car manufacturers and tire companies is they're looking at that connected piece of it. So how can I be in a city, um, let's say Chicago, that's got a pothole, run over the pothole, that data is collected from a um, tire perspective, also collected from a car manufacturer standpoint, identify where the pothole is, 
and then send an alert to the city or the community to say, yes, we have a flat tire. It happened. I need to get my flat tire fixed so the consumer is safe and pulls over and gets a, you know, a, let's say a 911 call or a tow truck to come and get him. But in addition to that, they're saving that data and they're sharing that data with car manufacturers and or the city to then resolve the actual pothole that's there. So a lot of different ways of looking at the data, a lot of different ways of actually sharing the data with different um, parts of the, uh, I would say, the ecosystem of connected everything. Thank you, Dina. Uh, Panel, just give me a second here. I want to read the rest of my opening quote from Neil Schusterman in his book, Downsiders, if I may, just as a a closing comment here, which will, I think, supplant everything we've been talking about. And then I'm going to circle back to you, Megan Cook, and ask you to start the crystal ball predictions round. So here's the entire quote. I think we've proven this. Neil Schusterman says, cities are never random. No matter how chaotic they may seem, everything about them grows out of a need to solve a problem. In fact, a city is nothing more than a solution to a problem that in turn creates more problems that need more solutions until towers rise, roads widen, bridges are built, and millions of people are caught up in a mad race to feed the problem-solving, problem-creating frenzy. Let me just quickly get a comment from everybody. you agree or disagree with that, Megan Cook? Um, I I somewhat uh, agree with it. I somewhat agree with it. I think that um, cities do solve a problem. They, They sometimes create more on the side. But um, I, I do think that when people feel a sense of community, especially in a city, working towards the same goal, that um, they can make a lot of change. And, and once that happens, yes, it's never random. It it's becomes planned. Thank you. Dina Dale, quickly, thoughts on that one? Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I would take probably the problem statement out of that uh, phrase and, and quote and probably uh, change that to opportunities. Um, you know, opportunities are always a, a positive way of looking at areas where you can improve the way people live, the way people work. And so when you're looking at it from an IoT perspective, it's not necessarily a problem, but really how can I look at data? How can I look at the connectivity of all those data points and be able to, you know, solve opportunities or make opportunities happen that technically weren't possible before? Thank you. And Saj Kumar, thoughts on that quote? Love it, hate it? Anything in between? <laughs> Completely agree. I think, you know, we, we used to look at some of the events in the past um, uh, in where I live in Singapore where we used to have constant flooding in some areas. And think of these as random events or, you know, uh, what you call uh, acts of God where you have uh, random rains or heavy monsoons, right? But um, when you look at the flooding in some parts of the city, these are all because of certain things being connected that you actually had. And when you start looking at the data coming from all the different sources, look at the the, the water levels in, in, the, in the drains and, and also in the reservoirs and, and connect that to weather forecasting systems, that's when you realize that these are all connected and they're never random. Thank you very much. Now, Megan Cook, we're going to circle around to you. Timing is perfect. We're at 51 after. I can give you 90 seconds for a prediction. So let's look ahead. Megan, I'm favoring the year 2020, so you can go a little sooner, a little later, or you can just hit it right on the head. It's only three years and, what, three years and six weeks away? How long have we been waiting for 2020? So, Megan Cook, what do you see coming down the pike, literally or figuratively, in terms of smart cities and IoT? Go ahead. I see, thanks, Bonnie. I, I see a, a large population moving to these mid-size and small cities. And I think when that happens, um, expectations rise and you have more of a population 
um, by which to take part in the innovative measures within the city. So I think we're going to see change, but it's always hard to say how much. So when technology was introduced in government, the idea of digital transformation we thought was going to take everyone by storm over the course of, what, five to ten years, and still it's been even longer. So I think with just three years and change, we're going to see some of the small cities really start to show impact um, in the area of, of infrastructure changes and engaging with citizens, and then you're going to start to see it spread to other cities because that's how it happens. It's a tipping point. It is, oh, I want to do what they're doing over here because people want to live there. And all of a sudden you'll see these pockets of change showing up throughout the United States. Thank you very much. And let's go to Dina Dale. Dina, predictions? You can have a whole 90 seconds if you want to. Go ahead. 2020 isn't that far away. And um, I think from my point of view, it's really about just, you know, the engaging of communities and cities and and becoming one. And so from the experience, the instant gratification standpoint, I think it's going to have a big play. Um, I think cities are already embarking on it. We're talking to cities on a daily basis and communities and convention centers that are also looking at the same type of um, same type of uh, initiatives. And so I think it's definitely here. I don't think it's in the past. I think it's definitely here. We've got tangible examples. Um, but I think it's going to grow. And I think the biggest area that, that concerns me is really just around the data privacy and data security, which I think we've still got a little bit of ways um, to get to 2020, but it's going to creep up on us quite quickly. And, and, and if we don't address those two, areas, um, you know, we're, we're sort of going ahead ahead of the curve before all the different uh, laws and regulations are going to be put in place. But uh, but I think it's here to stay. I think smart everything is definitely um, a growing, uh, growing theme across all different areas. Thank you very much, Dina. Very insightful. Very exciting, too. And let's go to Saj Kumar. I saved 90 seconds for you, Saj. What do you predict? Yeah, I'm not going to predict anything given that uh, 2020 is four years away and you know what happens in four years. And... Um, I'm going to talk about the possibilities. What could we okay. what could we think of in uh, in 2020? So, uh, given given that autonomous vehicles are becoming fairly popular, and there's been some tests, what we've uh, launched in Singapore in the last couple of months is uh, the first uh, public autonomous vehicle program, where we have a, a taxi service uh, that's an autonomous taxi that's been launched in in uh, one of the business districts in Singapore. And it's uh, being uh, funded by the government and a uh, startup from MIT called Newtonomy. And um, I-, I think autonomous vehicles uh, are going to be uh, a-, a big part of what we would see in 2020 as one of the possibilities for transportation, uh, particularly for public transport, whether it's a taxi or, uh, or a bus or other services that you would see. Uh, on, the, on the negative side, I think um, security is something that uh, we still haven't really taken care of. For, uh, mm-hmm. for IoT and for smart cities, and uh, especially with the increasing number of events where we're seeing devices being, uh, uh, being hacked into, uh, this is something that needs to be addressed fairly quickly if you want public or citizens to gain confidence in, in projects such as autonomous vehicles. Thank you very much. Very provocative, all three of you. I appreciate it. And again, I'm going to do a shout out to Marlon Zelkowitz for reaching out and getting Megan Cook on our panel today. Megan, a pleasure to reconnect with you. Dina Dale, always a pleasure. And Saj Kumar. And the two of you were introduced to me, I believe, by Ira Burke at SAP, who sponsors our series, The Internet of Things with Game Changers. And a shout out to W. David Stevenson, who couldn't join us today, but I know he's was listening or will listen to the podcast. David, hope everything is okay. And I'm just going to say thank you to my 
Michael, our engineer. It's just about time for us to close this party. Certainly had a very lively and interesting and insightful conversation about smart cities. We didn't really get into the security, but I have a feeling that Marlon will put that as one of the lead topics on her 2017 series, Smart Cities with Game Changers. So I'm sure everybody will be back for that one. And here's my call to action. Speaking of smart cities, smart cars, and everything smart, fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Come on, time's a waste and get off that chair. Go do something. Go out and be a game changer today. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. 